One of our members just yesterday was told Jesus is just a psychological crutch, uh, someone to help you get by in life. We're here to figure that out this morning. My name is Joe Wilshire, I'm the Senior Minister here. If you're visiting this morning or uh, only recently joined us, uh, uh, thrilled to have you with us and uh, uh, we have a great church uh, that you'll feel welcome by and we've got morning tea afterwards and then an AGM later just because that's not exciting. Anyway, let me pray as we deal with this issue of whether Jesus is a crutch for the week. Father, we want to thank you. We can gather here. We pray, please, as uh, we think about this issue, that you help us to know what is true and what is false. Help us to know if we're relying on something that in the end is just a sham or if it's real. Uh, and we pray that you reveal the truth of yourself. If you're there, uh, please help us to see you and to know you and to see who Jesus really is. Amen. Well, I've got some crutches here that I borrowed. These are not my personal crutches. Uh, someone did come to my rescue last night on, after Facebook I announced that I needed some for this morning. Uh, I wanted them here because I've had the opportunity to use these kind of things probably more than anyone else uh, here will ever do in their life. Uh, twice I've ended up on crutches as a result of soccer matches, not from being a coach, but from being a player. The first time was first year uni, 1990. Uh, I was, uh, the ball went past me. I spun really fast to turn around and chase it. My studs caught in the turf and I snapped my tibia in two down by the ankle and just went down. Uh, clean break. There you go. Six weeks on crutches. Uh, the second time was not that long ago. Uh, I was playing indoor soccer, uh, was standing there waiting for the ball to be kicked in and I could swear the guy behind me came up and just booted me in the back of the leg and I went down uh, and started yelling blue murder at the ref, ref, get that guy off, regard him, da, da, da. He kicked me, he said, he was nowhere near you, he's five metres away. What had happened was my Achilles tendon had snapped clean through and my foot went completely floppy and I couldn't stand up and so I got taken off the hospital. Again, six weeks on crutches. But my longest stint on crutches was nothing to do with soccer. In 1993, I was in third year uni, I was on a camp uh, and my mates found a flying fox at the campsite that had this sign on it that said, broken, do not use. <laughs> and this thing was a whopper, a flying fox, a zip line, cable between two trees. It started about three stories up in the air in one tree. Uh, it ended two stories up in the air on another tree and it went down to the ground in the middle, down this long, great hill. And being engineering students, uh, we decided we can fix that. We don't need to worry about signs. And you know what? Who needs things like harnesses or seats? And so what we did was tie a loop of rope around the pulley. And I wasn't the first to have a go, uh, but I was determined I'd be the fastest. So instead of dragging my feet on the ground as it came down to ground level and then slowing down and hopping off as those wimps had done before me, I decided to tuck up and I rocketed up the second half, uh, hit the stopper at the end of the line, went for a big swing and then, then all I can remember is going, oh, I've lost my grip. Oh, splat! <laughs> Two-storey fall, broke both arms and both legs. You can see some cool stars afterwards if you want to see them. Uh, from where they wired me up with various bits of metal. Anyway, all four limbs in traction in hospital for five weeks. And then over the next two years, I went from traction to a wheelchair 
uh, to specially design crutches that meant I didn't have to use my hands. You had to Velcro in and, and kind of lean on your elbows. Uh, and then uh, that was for a good while and then for a year and a half on a walking stick at the end. Suffice it to say, I consider myself an expert <laughs> when it comes to crutches. I don't know if I could still do it, but I could dance on crutches with the use of no legs at one point. But anyway, today we're discussing the accusation that Jesus is a crutch, just a crutch for the weak, or that Christianity is a crutch for the weak. You ever heard that? You've been accused of, uh, of believing kind of in you know, great spaghetti monsters and fairies and things because that's what Jesus is. Uh, it's, a, it's an insult, isn't it? It's an insult that's meant to suggest that you've got to be a bit pathetic to believe in stuff like Jesus. Uh, and then the implication is either that you're easily led or that you're emotionally needy and you're just kind of clinging on to anything that might offer you hope or that you're just plain gullible. And in our culture, I think that insult really hurts. It really hurts when we're told that because we despise weakness. We despise weakness. We don't want to be seen as weak and we especially don't want to be seen as mentally weak to only be kind of half there. And uh, let's work it out this morning. Is that all Jesus is? Is that all Christianity is? Just a psychological crutch to keep you going? Well, the first thing we need to work out is just what is a crutch? How do you define one of these things. Uh, what is that makes a crutch a crutch, whether it's a, a real physical one like this or an emotional, psychological one? What would make something a crutch? Well, I want to suggest that three things make something a crutch. Okay? These are the three things. The first is uh, that it's artificial. Uh, it's an artificial means of support. Someone built it, they created it, they made it up. I needed crutches supplied to me by someone else because my legs didn't happen to work at the time. In fact, not much did. But anyway, but that's the first thing. A, a crutch is artificial. The second thing, you only need a crutch if there's something very wrong with you, something abnormally wrong with you. Uh, now, some people might suggest that going on a flying fox that said, broken, do not use, there was already something wrong up here. <laughs> but, that, but that's beside the point. A crutch is something you need only if there's something wrong with you. You've got a broken leg or a broken Achilles. And thirdly, a crutch is something that makes life easier in the short term. And so having crutches helped me after I came out of hospital each time, and may well do again, <laughs> while the bones were repairing and the tendons were knitting back together. And without the crutches, each time I was stuck. But they were only temporary they were there to help me and they made life easier. So I reckon that's a pretty good uh, summary of what a crutch is. It's something that's artificial. It's something that you need only if there's something very wrong with you. And number three, it's, it makes life easier in the short term. So if that's what a crutch is, is Jesus one or is Christianity one? Now the idea that Christianity is just a psychological crutch or an emotional crutch was first suggested by this man here. Uh, anyone know who that is? Freud. Sigmund Freud. The father of psychoanalysis. Uh, there you go. Uh, Sigmund Freud, he suggested it in a book called The Future of an Illusion. And the illusion is God. And what's the future of God in society? 
Now, I had the uh, unfortunate displeasure of reading that book this week, <laughs> anyway. Um, but in it, Freud says that the Christian idea of God as a father in the sky is really just a projection of our need for our parents, especially when they've died. Okay? So we need, we need love, we need parents, we need comfort, we need someone to know that someone's there for us. So we, we project this need into an imaginary father in the sky. So even though we grow up, we still feel the need for our parents' care, we need, feel our need for their comfort and protection. And what we especially need is the, uh, a guiding principle, something that gives us purpose in life, uh, gives us direction, helps us to know how to make good moral choices and, and know what to do, the right decisions in life. So subconsciously what we do is latch onto this imaginary father in the sky who provides all those things. And so really it all comes down to wishful thinking. It's, it's a hangover from childhood dependency. It's a psychological crutch. And so on all three characteristics, Freud would say, yes, Christianity is just a crutch. Christianity is artificial. It was invented by our subconsciouses. And yes, it's only weak people who have this deep-seated need for an external, um, external support. Who, so they're, they're weak people. And yes, it's escapist. It's just something to make life easier in the short term to help us cope with things. So let me try and answer those three questions. And so question number one, is Christianity an artificial means of support? Is it just made up? Is it wishful thinking or is it true? Because the mere fact that it is comforting to know that there's a father who looks after you, uh, who's God, is no argument for his existence or against his existence. I mean, I, I take great comfort in some other things too. I take great comfort in my mum. My mum loves me. Is my mum a psychological crutch? No, she's real. I, I see her. I, the fact that I'm here means I have a mother. <laughs> uh, and she really cares for me. So the fact that I, I take comfort from my mum is no indication of whether it's fake or not, or artificial. So is Christianity artificial? Because if it's true, if it's based on facts, then Christianity can't be artificial. If it's true, it can't be imaginary. And the truth of the Christian faith really all depends on who Jesus is. It all depends on that. Which is precisely the question that's being debated in the passage that we read a few moments ago that's on page 1004 in the Bibles or that's printed on your sheet. Uh, and I wonder if you can see it there if you take that sheet out. Have a look. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18 or the, the first sentence on the sheet of paper on the left page. They were debating this very question of who Jesus is and the truth about it. You see there? Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? You know, what's, what's the vibe out there? What are, what are people saying? What's, you know, let's take a poll. Uh, what, what answers would we find? Now, that was an easy question for the disciples. They, they'd seen the crowds. They'd milled around as part of them. In fact, they'd once been part of the crowds themselves. And they knew the kinds of things that people were saying about Jesus. And it'd be pretty fair to say from 
what they'd heard and they were about to report, that the crowds, whatever they thought of Jesus, they were impressed by him. They, they uh, really liked him. They thought he must be from God somehow, uh, but they really didn't know what to make of him. And so they were baffled. You see, they'd heard extraordinary stories about him. They'd heard extraordinary stories about his birth, about the star and the angels. In fact, you think about it, the shepherds who were in the fields by night were still talking about it 30 years later, what had happened that evening. And they were part of the crowds and, they, and people knew them as well. They'd heard how as a boy of 12, Jesus had gone to the temple to, and asked questions of such wisdom of the scholars and experts that the most learned teachers were utterly astounded and amazed by him as a little boy. They'd seen him go up to a paralysed man and say, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. I mean, you think about all that needs to happen. I've recovered from several leg injuries. They take a long time for your bones to knit back together and your tendons to repair themselves and all those kind of things. And I'm not quite the same as I used to be. Um, I stand funny, I get back aches and neck aches because I'm all thrown out of whack. But this man, his tendons, his bones, the skin, the muscles all knit back together instantly in front of them and he got up, he'd been paralysed since birth, his legs have wasted away, he got up and he went home leaping and praising God. They'd seen him confronting the religious hypocrites of his day, putting him in their place, fearless. They'd seen him curing incurable diseases of the day, the AIDS of the day, leprosy. And he just healed many lepers, just like that. They'd heard him preach the finest sermon ever heard, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And what's more, they were saying, do you know what? This guy, he doesn't just say it. He lives it out. They'd heard about a time, just a few weeks, in fact, before he asked this question, when he and his disciples had been caught in a storm, a furious squall, so bad that hardened fishermen thought they were going to die at sea. It was that bad. But Jesus had been sleeping through it. They woke him up and he got up and he said, Be still! And it had all gone calm. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't even do that in the bath. <laughs> Have you ever tried that? Just slush, slush up and down, you know, kind of thing, and then stand up and go, Be still! It's be a bit embarrassing, you <laughs> know. Because nothing's happening. Jesus could do it with an inland sea. He could just calm it with a word. So when Jesus asked, who do people say I am? People were having real trouble working it out. Who is this man that can do these things? And so some said, well, what did they say? Some said John the Baptist, who was a great man of God, who'd only just recently been killed, had his head cut off. Well, maybe he's come back. Some say, well, maybe, maybe he's Elijah, who was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, who, who did other miracles. Maybe he's come back to us. Some say, well, maybe he's another prophet from long ago. So they're impressed, but they, they really don't know what to think or what to make of him. But then the question changes. He says, well, what about you guys? You're with me. You've been around all this time. You're my followers. Who do you, who do you say that I am? 
Now, that's a much harder question to answer, isn't it? It's, it's easy to gauge popular opinion and to just say what, what the rumours are and what everyone else is saying. Much harder when you're put on the spot to, to own what you really think. And yet that's actually the question that every single person here has to answer at some point in their lives. Who do you think Jesus is? And I find that's what's so striking about Freud's book, A Future of an Illusion, that he writes off the Christian faith as, you know, psychological crutch, but he never asks or addresses that question. He writes it off as a psychological illusion, but he never discusses who is Jesus. And we've got to decide on that. We can't rely on second-hand opinions or just what our family said growing up, one way or the other. Eventually, Jesus puts the question to each one of us, who do you say I am? What do you make of me? Well, Peter braved, uh, bravely stood up when no one else was talking and he gave an answer. First question, Jesus is, fill in the blank, Peter. Well, you are, Jesus is, the Christ of God, he says. Now, that was a showstopper. In case you've never really thought about it, Christ is not Jesus' surname. He's not the son of Mr. Christ and Mrs. Christ. It, it's actually a title that he, he has, that he was given. And when Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, he was saying that here in front of them all was the fulfilment of all of the Old Testament expectations about God's promised king. That's who he's saying he was. Perhaps it's even God himself come down because the Old Testament prophecies are a little bit clear about who this king is. Is it God or is it God's representative? And so the Christ, the Messiah, was the one that Israel had been waiting a thousand years for, the one God said he would send, a superhuman leader who would overthrow all of Israel's enemies and establish once and for all the perfect reign of God on earth. The, the Christ was the ruler. He was the judge. He was the one who was going to right every wrong. He was the one who was going to punish every sin. And he was going to restore God's people. And so to Peter, to say that, to say that Jesus is the Christ is a very, very big statement. It was a very big call. And if he is the Christ, then he's a very big deal. A very big deal. Because what it means is this. If he is the Christ, if that's who Jesus is, if he is the Christ, then to reject Jesus is to reject God in his world. And that is a very serious thing to do. To reject Jesus is to reject God in his world. Now, I come from a family, and in fact I grew up this way, that are rejecting God in this world, in his world, and who reject Jesus. Uh, and can I say, that really scares me. It scares me. But if it's true that Jesus is the Christ, then Christianity can't be artificial, and therefore it can't be a psychological crutch. And I want to say Christianity is true because it's accompanied by overwhelming evidence. Christianity is based on truth because it's rooted in historical fact. You can check it out. It can be checked out. And when you do the work, you realise it's not a gullible thing to 
believe in Jesus at all. In fact, it's a very hard thing to reject the historical realities of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know what? I've heard people say that. But, you know, I've never really done the research for myself to figure it out. Uh, Maybe you're wondering, okay, all right then, Joe, what is this evidence if it's so overwhelming? Uh, Well, I've got two things that might help you get started because it actually takes quite a bit of time to work through it all. Uh, One is this little booklet here, and I've got a bunch of copies. There's about nine of them sitting left on the, uh, the bookcase in the foyer there. Uh, I'd love to give it to you afterwards if this is your question. You know, uh, it's just called The Evidence for the Resurrection by J.N.D. Anderson, M-A-L-L-D, which means he's a, he's a lawyer from England. <laughs> uh, the Evidence for the Resurrection. He was a high-flying English lawyer who uh, uh, became, at the end of his life, an advisor to the British Parliament on uh, different systems of law from around the world before his death. And I think it's very compelling. It's not gullible to believe this. Um, But you've got to make up the mind for yourself. You've got to make up your mind. And the second thing that I think might help is in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have a night just devoted to this question of history and how you can know that Jesus is real. Uh, Thursday the 22nd right here, Matt Payne, uh, who's our uh, resident scholar and boffin, is going to be... um, uh, taking us through what's the evidence. It's going to be a seminar. It's going to be a really interesting discussion back and forth. Uh, and, and you need to check out the truth claims for yourself. You need to check them out because if Jesus is the Christ, then it's serious business. And if it's true, it can't be artificial. And if he's real, he can't be a psychological crutch. Well, question number two. The second characteristic of a crutch is that it's only needed by particularly weak people. So is Christianity only for weak people who are emotionally needy or easily led or is it for everyone? Well, look for a moment, please, at verse 21, the number 21 there, little 21. Peter's just said, you're the Christ. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, the little word must that keeps appearing there uh, is a little word in the English language, uh, sorry, in the Greek language that it was written in. It means absolutely necessary for certain great ends. This absolutely must happen if things are going to result well. So Jesus is saying he had to be rejected He had to be killed and he had to rise again because we needed him to do that. In other words, he was saying that every single man and woman has a need for what's about to happen at, well, what turns out to be the cross and the resurrection, the Easter story. But the issue is this. Are these needs Jesus is talking about going to the cross for, are they universal needs or are they just needs that weak people have? Because the mere fact that I need something does not make that something a crutch. You think about, I need all sorts of things. For example, food. I don't just like food, and you can tell I like my food, right? I love it. 
But we all need food. I watched uh, A Mountain Between Us last year. Anyone see that movie? Uh, yeah, it wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> but they make the, the claim to start, if you, you can survive without food for three weeks only and then you die. Go without food for three weeks, you'll die. Uh, well, at least you'll get quite hungry anyway. <laughs> water, we all need water. You can do without water for three days and then you can't survive. Or air, is air a crutch? You can live without air for three minutes. That you need any of those things does not make any of them a crutch. But you might say to me, well, Joe, those are physical things that you die without. But you won't die if you don't have Jesus. Really? That's exactly what the Bible is saying will happen. That without him doing what he says he must do and without him... You will die. Not die instantly, but it will come. And that's because death isn't just the absence of physical things needed to sustain us. It's actually the judgment of God on us for ignoring him, for rejecting him, for walking away and for treating him as just a footnote in our lives. See, think about it. What do you expect you're going to get if you spit in the face and thumb your nose at the author of life, you tell the guy who gives life and sustains life to get stuffed, you're not going to get life, you're going to get the opposite. Romans 6.23 puts it this simply, the wages of sin, what we earn is death. The wages of sin is death. Death is our payment. And not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. And yet what Jesus is talking about doing, driven out of his love for us, what he's saying it's absolutely necessary for him to, that he must do, is go and die in our place and rise again. Not long after this, he's going to say that he's going to die at the cross in order to offer his life as a ransom for us, to buy us back. It's the greatest act of substitution in the world. Uh, let, me, let me try and explain how it works when Jesus dies on the cross for us. Uh, some of you have heard this before. Others, well, you'll get to hear this many times over the years. Uh, if you can just imagine for a moment um, a giant magnifying glass. Have you, you used to use magnifying glasses at school? Some of you are old enough to start needing them again. Uh, uh, you know, at first you, you're told that they make things look bigger. But then you find out they're real use, don't you? Burning things, burning paper, <laughs> burning little creatures, <laughs> burning your sister, if she'll sit still long enough. <laughs> well, the cross works like a giant magnifying glass like that but instead of concentrating down light onto one tiny point it's as if God concentrates down all of the sin of the world all that's due for not living for him and he concentrates it all down onto one tiny point onto one man Jesus and so he dies there on the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve 
for having walked away from God. And he deals with it once and for all. He, he paid for us. And now he lives again. And that, and he says he must do that if we are to ever be forgiven by God. If we are ever to be restored to right relationship with God, which is what we were made for in the first place. And so because he has done that, he meets the spiritual needs every single person in this world has, whether they acknowledge it or not. These are universal needs. These are not just for the mentally weak or the easily led. So Jesus isn't a crutch because he's not just emotionally weak people who need him. He's needed by all of us. All our futures are riding on him. Now the third thing about a crutch, as I finish, is does Jesus make life easier in the short term? Is Christianity just a form of escapism, something you need to help you feel good and get along better for the time being? Uh, well, you tell me what you think about the verses that follow. Tell me if they, this sounds like escapism to you. Jesus continues in verse 23. <coughs> then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, just like he must go to the cross, they must, deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Does that sound like escapism? And that following him is going to be easy and make life better all the time and yay! Have you ever thought about why there are so few committed Christians in this country? Uh, survey after survey tells us that something like 70 to 75% of people in Australia believe in God, and I think even more astonishingly, 60% of people say in survey after survey that they believe Jesus is the Son of God. 60% of people in this country, which is about 15 million people, are there anything like 15 million people in this country in church today? No. Why is their thinking not integrated into their actions? Why aren't they Christians? When deep down they say they know who he is and they'll admit to it in an anonymous survey. Well, isn't this verse at least part of the reason why? Because being a Christian's actually quite hard it's challenging you've got to deny yourself take up your cross and follow me denying yourself we're in a culture that's all about satiating your every desire where we don't want to deny ourselves anything taking up your cross daily whatever that means it sounds quite painful it's a means of execution following jesus there's only one person whose rules i want to follow and that's well, that's not Jesus, it's my own, right? We don't want anyone else imposing on us in our lives. 
And you think about it, when, when people reject the Christian faith, Freud or whoever, many of whom are the very ones calling Christianity a psychological crutch, it's not the evidence because they've just never sat down and done the work themselves. They haven't thought it through. It's just convenience. So they can get on with doing what they want and feel okay about life. They're quite happy. And if you're doing that, then I want to ask, who's the one leaning on a psychological crutch? Not investigating the evidence, going with what you want to be true so that you can do what you want. Who's leaning on the psychological crutch? Indeed, for many people, they've substituted something that really has become their crutch and it's only really their downfall. For some, it might be alcohol abuse. Alcohol abuse is a crutch. It's also a sin. For some, it's drug addiction. Drug abuse is a crutch. It's also a sin. For some of my friends, it's sexual promiscuity. That's a crutch. It's also a sin. For some, it's the demand that I'm boss and I'll call the shots, even though... God gave me every breath. I'm the one who's going to run my life. Well, demanding to be in control is a crutch. It's also a sin. You can think of lots of examples. So those are the crutches that they lean on, which means they won't confront the truth and turn to Jesus. For some, they know it's true, but it's popularity, which means they won't come to him because they don't want to be seen as uncool or one of those people. They know they'll get hassled about it, especially when Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the holy angels. And they are ashamed. And they think to be a follower of his would be ashamed. Hear what he's saying? If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. But if you're proud of me, on the day when I come in judgment, I'll be proud of you. And when you think about how Christians are treated with suspicion and contempt in our community, how they're insulted like this, and how every attempt is being made to drive Christianity from all public life, surely you can see that following Jesus is not taking the easy way out. It's not the easy option. Being a Christian is the hard way. Uh, There was a previous assistant minister at this church uh, several years ago who came from a different religious background and... uh, became a follower of Jesus. Uh, And uh, when he became a Christian, he started receiving death threats from his closest friends and from his family members. If you said to him, is Christianity just a psychological crutch? He'd laugh at you. Last year, I think this is an extraordinary statistic, but it's true, last year 156,000 Christians were martyred around the world. You're going to go up to them and say, well, Christianity is just a psychological crutch to make you feel good. (laughs) The early church, these people who wrote these documents, they gave their lives because they knew it was true. The emperors of the day were writing things like, torture a Christian until he dies or he recants. To suggest that Christianity is a psychological crutch to those people would be a monstrous thing to do. And can I say, if Christianity is only a psychological crutch, then throw it away at that point because it's no longer a help to you. At that point, if it's not true, just get rid of it. 
being a Christian following Jesus is not a form of escapism that will make life easy and carefree as you gullibly live in blissful ignorance to the real things. It will bring great challenges to you. Jesus doesn't necessarily make life easier. Christianity is not something that necessarily makes life easier. But having said all that, being a Christian is also to have life at its very best. There is great comfort from it, but it's not true because it brings comfort. It's true and therefore it brings comfort. It brings life at its fullest. It's exhilarating. It's purposeful. It's challenging to walk with Jesus Christ. And the promises that Jesus makes are not just wishful thinking, offering cold comfort to small minds. They are certain, sure, secure, eternal words written in his blood and guaranteed by his rising from the dead. Is Jesus a psychological crutch? No way. He is the Christ. He is the judge. He is the saviour. He is the one who loves me unconditionally. He's the one that loved you unconditionally, has given his life for you, that you could have life. He's the one who's paid for us to come home. I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? Allow me to pray. Father, these are challenging words in your scriptures that bring us great assurance, no doubt. For they are words of truth and words of life. They are words of comfort. But thank you they're not just pretend comfort, that they are true. Father, we do pray for any who are here who have not done this work of investigating these claims and the evidence, that they would be brave enough to do the work and if they do discover the truth, that they would have the humility to give themselves to you. Father, we do pray for us who do follow you and know you. Help us never to be ashamed of you. Help us to love you. Help us to rely on you. Not because you're going to let us down in the end, but because you are sure and certain. We thank you that you have paid for us. We thank you for your mercy and love each day. We thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.